The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. All right, thank you guys for being here. Uh, My name's Neil, for those of you who haven't met yet. Um, It is warmer than they told us it was going to be. A week ago, actually three days ago, supposed to be like high as 73 and cloudy. Um, So we called an audible because it's about 86 and sunny right now. We're going to do all of our talks back to back to back, and then we'll grab a chair, grab a stool, and head inside, and then we'll discuss all three sections afterwards. So that way we're not trying to go back and forth um, or staying out here for a straight two hours. Um, So quick, why are we here right now? Uh, We're kicking off a new series of events called The Public Square. Uh, This is something that a few of us have been dreaming about, talking about doing for a long time. Uh, We operate with the assumption that our Our faith in Jesus is always personal, but it's not meant to be private. Uh, We're meant to actually live public lives in light of what God has communicated about himself, about us as human beings, about human society, um, including things like politics. And so we're going to start doing about once a quarter uh, events like this outside of the church walls, in public spaces, um, at different institutions around the city, and have more of a a forum-type setting. So we have some talking. It's going to be more of a TED Talk style. Uh, quick chats, and then want to discuss what does this actually mean for our lives. Um, So in January or February, we're we're looking to do one uh, dealing with the issue of race and ethnicity. Um, And they also want to do one on human sexuality probably sometime in in May or June. So look for those coming forward. But this is the new series of events, the Public Square. Um, Thanks to Peter Wanberg. I think he's still inside cleaning up. Uh, But Peter Wanberg started Jubilee Roasting Company. They opened up back in December. Um, As you can see, some of the art studios back here. They have a number of artists that that rent space, utilize that. They host a lot of events here um, and also attends Park Church. So thankful for him to to host up and take his one day off and and come in and serve us coffee. So let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll begin. Jesus, thank you that you've made us uh, not just as a a series of individuals, but uh, meant for relationship, meant for community. Uh, so as we, we think about these things, we think about what you've communicated for human life, human society, uh, for politics and government, uh, may we step in with a, a humble confidence um, that, that we know there is truth, that you've communicated true things about yourself and about the world that we live in. And at the same time, uh, we don't know everything. We have a lot to learn. Uh, there's a lot of questions um, in our own minds, in our own hearts that have, have yet to be answered. So may we, may we learn from one another today. Uh, may this atmosphere be marked by... Um, a kindness, an ironic spirit, a desire to, to uphold and serve one another, uh, to share things that are helpful and to, to listen and learn, and also be honest about our convictions. Um, so yeah, may, may this be fruitful. Uh, may you be honored and glorified through our time together. And spirit, do what only you can do. And that's to cause us to see what is true and good and beautiful. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to walk through just a few basic biblical principles um, as we think about politics and government. So I want to look at a few different texts of Scripture. If you guys have a Bible or iPad, iPhone, I encourage you to open that up. Um, and that, that's going to frame everything else that we talk about. And then we're going to have Caleb and Kylie Crossland come up, ask them a few questions about how should we talk about politics. You know, a subject that can be very divisive, uh, very frustrating at times, uh, especially when we, we think differently, we see differently uh, compared to other people. And yet we believe we have a lot of the same Christian convictions. Um, then Dr. David Cotter is going to come up and, and wrap us up with what are the questions we should be asking as we think about politics, as we think about government, as we think about voting and different candidates and, and party and, and policy issues. So to kick off, let's look at Romans chapter 13, the verse, first seven verses of Romans 13. My pages will stay calm on me. Romans 13, starting verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. The authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all 
what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. All right, a few things that I want us to see from this text, uh, which is kind of the go-to text when we think about government and the political process. First, middle of verse 1, for there is no authority except from God. So it's very easy as we think about presidential elections or more local elections, we think about government structures that exist worldwide, uh, that and there's a lot of authority that these people have, a lot of power, a lot of control, a lot of influence they have in society, in our lives. Their decisions, what they say, what they do really affects us. And that's true. But here we have the comfort of knowing all authority initially comes from God. So any authority that, uh, that, that a president has or the Congress has or some, uh, some ruler overseas has is derivative. It's a derivative authority that God has actually given and granted to that person for his purposes. And we see that, continuing in verse 1, and those that exist, speaking of any human ruler, uh, any politician, anybody who holds an office of any kind, those that exist have been instituted by God. That doesn't mean we don't have evaluative judgments on uh, the decisions that are made, the beliefs that are held, lifestyle choices, things like that, but saying that in God's grand scheme of things, in his sovereignty, in his providence, he places certain leaders in certain uh, situations and certain historical contexts for his purposes, even though we don't always see all the ins and the outs of it. And so as we approach thinking about, in particular, the presidential election, uh, it's easy to uh, have, have anxiety or frustration or confusion. And we have to begin with a, a level of comfort, a level of confidence in the God who has all authority and gives that authority as he sees fit. And he names certain rulers for his purposes. So, so whenever our beliefs are, our assumptions are, our expectations and desires are moving into to November and then in January, uh, we rest in the fact that God is on the throne. He is authoritative. He, he's over the entire process. He's over who gets elected and who doesn't and the decisions that are made from there. Second, I want us to see, uh, Paul, Paul's almost using uh, a sort of, this is an opportunity for a polemic against the Roman authority. So that there's a there's a good chance, at least a, a probable, a potential chance, um, that some of the Roman authorities would have picked up this letter that Paul was writing to the church in Rome and read through it, having a level of control and, okay, what's, what's coming in? At some point, their eyes may have come across this. And so he's, on the one hand, wanting to, to demonstrate proper respect toward the government, which is the, the right Christian posture, but also it's a sort of polemic in saying, hey, governing officials, you exist for the good of society. You exist to, to restrain evil, to restrain sin, and, and to create human flourishing in whatever context you're, you're governing, you're overseeing. Um, so you see this embedded in Paul's assumption as he argues. Uh, verse 2, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Now, these are the, essentially the same uh, governing body that unjustly put Jesus to death, uh, that, that martyred numerous Christians. And so Paul's writing this knowing, okay, yes, they do evil things. Uh, but he's almost, he's kind of gouging them a little bit and saying, hey, you actually submit to God even though you don't recognize it? You're accountable to the God of the universe who's created you, put you in power. And it actually defines what is good and what it looks like for human beings to, uh, to flourish in society. And so this is, this is talking about the ideal. This is why uh, government officials exist. This is why uh, different policies are meant to be decided upon. This is why we, we have elections. All of these things are meant to place leaders in our midst that will seek the good of human society um, in our context. So that, that's why government exists. Now, if there was no sin... If there was no evil, if there was nothing internal in us that would take us away from the right way of living, there would be no need for that. We just live in right, intimate, submitted relationship with God and, and live horizontally with one another. There needs to be no uh, true laws that are, that are external to the person because everything that's there uh, internally is sufficient to live out a, um, a life that's submitted to God correctly. Uh, but you enter in sin in Genesis 3, and all of a sudden you need something external to the human person to restrain some of that evil, to restrain that sin and actually steer people in the right direction. So that's why government exists. Um, 
Now, I want to hit on briefly the, the issue of submitting to government. Paul obviously says this in verse 1, but if you flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, to the right, we see this a little more explicitly. First Peter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So again, this is reiterating the point that, that Paul made in Romans 13. The basic disposition of the Christian in human society should be one of submission to the governing authorities that God has placed there. So we, we hold firm to that. That's our basic disposition, basic posture. We, we look for, for opportunities to honor those who, who have been placed above us in authority, uh, in political institutions. Now, we say that, but then we see stories um, like, like Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, disobeying the governing authorities. You see um, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, in it's verses 1 through 22, if you guys want to look at that later. They, they're performing miracles, and they're testifying and bearing witness to the, the risen Lord, the risen Savior. And the governing officials say, this, this is not okay. We're actually going to put you guys in jail, hold a, hold a trial, realize they can't do anything against them. And so they say, okay... We're going to let you go, but just stop talking about the name of Jesus. Talk, st stop doing miracles. Stop uh, talking about the resurrection. This is really divisive for our people. Stop doing this. And the, and the response is, you tell us, is it better for us to obey you or to obey God? And the obvious answer is, we're, we're ultimately submitted to God. He, he's the one from whom all authority comes. And so there is, there is a, a context for, there is a, a time to, to have a, a level of civil disobedience. Uh, whenever any authority over us commands us to do what is directly against God's word or prohibits us from doing something that we're commanded to do by God's word, then we, are, we must, as Christians, to faithfully bear witness to who Jesus is, we must disobey. But that, that shouldn't be the thing that we're, we're trying to, to seek out. Again, our, our basic posture, our basic disposition should be one of humility, submission, honoring those who are in authority over us, and when those times come, with wisdom and humility, and still receiving the often uh, consequences of that, um, we, we must disobey the, the authorities that are over us. All right, two more things I want to I hit on and then have Caleb and Kylie come up. One, as a, as a basic interpretive principle, as we think about um, what, should the, what should the state look like today? What, what should... Uh, the government look like today. A lot of times it's easy to pull from ancient Israel and say, okay, this, this nation that existed, that God called uh, a people for himself, they had a, a geopolitical region, they had rulers, they had laws, um, what you would call a theocracy. It's a merging of religion and the state. Uh, it's also what you had um, during much of the, the Roman Empire, where, where the, there was no true distinguishing between religion or, or the, the priestly order and what was decided in society for, for laws or anything else like that. Now, it's very easy for us to assume that whatever we see in ancient Israel, in that theocracy, should be a one-to-one -one in our context today. Um, there's actually a difference, and I think that comes out pretty well in Matthew 22, when Jesus is challenged by some of the, the rulers of his day. So if you flip over to Matthew 22... Uh, 22, starting verse 15. And the Pharisees went and plotted how to, how to entangle him, speaking of Jesus, in his words. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone else's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. 
So they're trying to trap him. They're, they're trying to create, uh, to make Jesus out to be an enemy of the state so they wouldn't have to deal with him, but the, the state would instead. And verse 18, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So what's going on here? Uh, they're trying to make Jesus an enemy of the state. And, and here Jesus actually legitimizes the existence of those governing authorities. Said, whose, whose inscription is on that coin? Well, that, that demonstrates his, his right to rule, his right to reign in this society. So pay your taxes. That's proper. And, and this actually leads into our identity as the people of God, that, that we are no longer merged with uh, the state, but we're actually a, a kingdom of priests. We're actually a, a spiritual household uh, that God has created through Jesus, through his work on the cross and resurrection. And we live as strangers, as sojourners, as travelers and pilgrims here in these societies. Yes, seeking to influence, uh, to, to steward the opportunities we have, to, to make decisions, to see difference, uh, to, to see uh, changes happen throughout society. But we're never meant to merge religion with the state. Uh, we're actually... We are the people of God. We are the church uh, traveling through this, this current society that we're in. One other thing from this text that, that comes out, I love how the implication likely of what Jesus is saying here. So he says, render to, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So the logic is his inscription, his image and likeness is on the coin. Therefore, pay your taxes. But what he doesn't mention is, which, is, which would have be, been heard by the Pharisees there, where is God's inscription? Where is his image? Well, it's in, it's in humanity. It's in us. So without saying it, he's saying, yeah, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But remember, render to God the things that are God's, which is everything. Your very life. You see his, his inscription work throughout creation. You see his image born in, in humanity. So the totality of your life, including the paying of taxes, including how you interact with government and the, the governing authorities, all of that is to be governed by God's ultimate authority. So submit there first. Lastly, um, what does it look like as the people of God, as the church, as those who um, have been saved, called into a new family, a new household, a new society, uh, to influence those around us? Um, we all have opportunities to, different areas of responsibility, where we, we make decisions uh, be it voting in an election, uh, be it participating in a neighborhood association, association, association if I can talk, uh, more locally, we, we have opportunities all the way through. We tend to think either I, I abstain entirely from politics and government, it's, it's just a game, it's frustrating, it's corrupt, or so much is, is staked upon who gets the seat in the Oval Office. Like, it's, it's such a pendulum swing if I'm excited for the next four years or not. When really, and this is one of the, the recommended resources on the, on the back of your sheet, um, a book called The Fractured Republic. And his entire argument in this book is there's a, there's a huge middle section uh, of politics, of government, that we actually can have a lot of involvement in, that we often don't think about, but still falls in the realm of politics. It's thinking about our neighborhood, our local institutions, our, our school boards, uh, things where people come together, operate a certain way, decisions are made, people's lives are influenced. And that's where, as Christians, we can, we can think well and, and seek the common good, uh, seek the flourishing of other people in these different spheres, um, just by stewarding the immediate context that God has given to us. So those are flyover, quick principles on thinking about politics and government. Uh, Caleb and Kyle, if you guys want to hop up here, we'll talk about how to talk about politics. Awesome, here's that. Uh, Caleb and Kylie. Let's see, law degree from CU, um, served at the, you worked at the White House for, for a summer. Uh, you, I well, in D.C. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess we just both have had uh, a fair amount of interaction with politics. We met, uh, well, Kylie went to uh, the King's College. She can tell I you about that. I studied poli undergrad, and then we met doing a political science institute, basically, like a year-long program. Yeah. And then Caleb went to law school, yeah. and we worked at the Capitol in Denver. 
for a session, and Kayla worked in D.C. for a summer, too. Yeah, just doing kind of legal work, legal policy work. Yeah. So. And, Kelly, you still write for Yeah, and I write, well. yeah, for <laughs> World okay. Magazine and touch on political issues yeah. through that. So, thank you guys for being here. Yeah. One of the most ironic couples in talking about potentially divisive topics. Um, so, wanted to pick their brains on what does it look like for us as Christians for an area that we either shy away from, or if we step into, it can be filled with a lot of tension, a lot of frustration, um, maybe around the dinner table, maybe around a family gathering, when extended families around, especially around this time of year. So, I wanted to hear from you guys. Um, first, why is it even important for us to engage this conversation? Yeah, I guess uh, just kind of what you mentioned with uh, the idea that um, if you think, you know, God placed us in the garden and he cultural mandate that we're to create a culture and society, that just because sin came, it doesn't mean we are um, still called to that. And I think that politics and government is a big part of the society we live in and the thriving of society. And so um, I think that is, and I think living in a country where we can have some say in it, it is... Um, you know, a talent that God has given us to steward, and I think to just say, no, I don't want to participate in that because it's ugly or it's, there's definitely sin involved and there's um, ugliness, I think is maybe kind of bearing that talent or not being faithful with uh, all that God's given us, our responsibilities. Yeah. I don't think we could say that about, like, our family or our marriage, you know, where it's, we have a responsibility, we have an opportunity and a duty to just say, well, I don't, I don't like it or it's, um, it's ugly or it has hard things. And everybody, of course, is called to a different degree. Um, some people, you know, that that's sh certainly shouldn't be most people's livelihood, but I think we all have some um, opportunity and maybe uh, a calling to take interest in it and try to be thoughtful about it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah and I, I guess I just think um, it's easy, like, to um, kind of shy away from conversations because they're divisive, but then you often end up kind of talking in echo chambers, like only talking to people you agree with about politics, and then... Um, it's just not informing your ideas anymore. So engaging with people that don't don't agree with you helps you understand where they're coming from, where you're coming from, helps you refine your ideas. So I find when I disengage from anyone who doesn't agree with me on topics, I don't strengthen my own ideas. I don't. I'm not um, challenged in my ideas. And so I think often the oh we just don't talk about politics ends up making us more divisive than more peaceful. Yeah, that's good. But of course, it doesn't always go well in conversation. Even before, beforehand, they're telling about. And in the past several weeks, we've had a number of situations that have gone pretty poorly and evaluated that and trying to talk about politics. And then some since then have maybe gotten a little bit better. Yeah. Would you guys share some of those stories about both the good and the bad? Yeah. Sarah. Yeah. I mean, it's super humbling. We do not. We are not poster children for this at all. We had a conversation with a friend who's a believer. And we kind of knew we might be coming from different political perspectives leading up to the conversation, but um, we, just the way that it ended up, we stayed super entrenched in our ideas. Um, he was as well. It was combative. It wasn't helpful. I, I for sure wasn't listening. Caleb was doing a lot better job listening. I wasn't listening. It was so humbling to just realize how fast you can get threatened by someone else's opinions. Um, and and not listen and not engage and not try and understand like where did you how are these formed so that was really humbling like recently to have a conversation with someone that um, at the end of it we were able to reconcile and apologize you know I apologized and um, and we just said thanks for being willing to have this and we want to talk to you more um, but yeah it kind of got to um place where we're kind of raising voices, not like necessarily angry, yelling, but trying to get your word in while they were talking, and um, so it's just definitely not helpful, yeah. and I think like uh, just a picture of what we generally don't want to do, yeah. but I think like post that conversation, I think generally we, we probably knew this, but we don't always practice it, just most of those conversations, I think we wanted to be marked by um, mostly asking questions, and uh, I think, you know, I think you could be afraid that, oh, they're going to think I agree with them or uh, that I think that they seem really smart or they know what they're talking about or I don't or whatever. But I think just mostly asking questions, they know where you're coming from. And I think by um, just when people feel heard and that you've really, like, trying to got, get down with honest questions about where they're coming from and why did they arrive at that conclusion, that it's a lot easier to talk to them about what you think and they're a lot more receptive and uh, you... Um, 
I don't know, it just seems like there's can actually be a conversation and um and I think just the, also the humility to know that there it, there are things that I can learn and uh to find people interesting enough to think like, well, I want to know what you think and why, and I don't have to talk over you or um, get my word in. Um, so. And I don't assume you come at this from a certain perspective. I think I can like look at someone and be like, oh, you probably believe this because I know like these three random facts about you. But if you listen, it's amazing how people come to their conclusions, and a lot of things influence that. And so just being willing to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I think just the last thing is I think often I get to that place because I want to control the way people think. You know, it can be a control issue. Like I want to I want to make you think what I think. I think just kind of letting go of that is super helpful for me. Just like, you know, I cannot control them and I probably won't and I very unlikely they're going to leave this conversation with a different view. Though, you know, with many conversations or I could slightly start to change the way they think, but I think just um Letting go of that control issue and asking questions mm-hmm. and knowing that they're going to think what they think and I can't make anybody think anything. Yeah, so, yeah. that's good. You kind of begin to touch on this, but any other general principles or laws, so to speak, that you you like to govern the way that you yeah. engage these conversations? What was that, Neil? Uh, just general principles for stepping into a conversation that could be divisive. I So since, since that conversation, I had another conversation with a a sweet friend that I knew we were coming from separate perspectives as well and it was so good to just like I just went into it saying okay Kai what did you learn from that one don't do that again like you know and um and I never really engaged with her on how she came to the conclusion she came to and so I think I asked her I mean we were on a long drive I think I asked her questions for like an hour and she just talked me through how did she come to this? What does she see in the public sphere? What does she see from leaders? You know, like, what does she see in her parents that's attractive or not? I mean, we just really talked it out and really engaged on a few different things. And um, it was such a good conversation. She was asking me questions by the end of it. And we got to the end of it, and we were both like, this was so helpful for forming both of the ways, like, the ways we think about these issues. So um, I guess one principle that we kind of landed on, this friend and I did, is that there's kind of two separate conversations, one being what does the Bible say about these certain issues, um, gay marriage, abortion, poverty alleviation, you know, do we agree about maybe what scripture says about this? And the second question is, granted that, because we agreed about most of those things, but granted that, what do we believe the state should do in the face of those issues? And that's like a separate conversation, and so it was helpful for us to get on the same page about scripture and then delve into, so therefore... Like, does the state have a role in encouraging or discouraging that behavior? Does the state have a role in, um, you know, human thriving in this arena versus this arena? And that was helpful to kind of frame the conversation that way for us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think just generally trying to ask more questions, listen more than you talk, and um, taking interest in people to really care about what they think and why, and even just an interest in your culture enough to think, like, what does our generation think, or, you know, why do people think this way, and um, just kind of try to get a read on that. Yeah. Is there a way that you guys have found to get past the the party slogans, the sound bites, the images? Because I've been a part of some conversations where it seems like it's all that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the... Uh, the political rhetoric, rhetoric in the media has been that's what you talk about yeah. as opposed to what are your underlying assumptions yeah. like what do you what do you really believe about things and where does that carry you yeah. yeah is there a way to steer things in a that latter direction that's a good question yeah what do you think i think i just think as much as possible avoiding that language and trying to invite the conversation with different rhetoric like um i mean i'm trying to think of examples like I mean, human flourishing probably isn't something that you hear on, like, Fox or CNN, you know? So, like, what encourages human flourishing? Like, coming at it from that perspective can be helpful or, um, like, I don't know, intentionally just trying to not say really divisive. Like, assuming that either I'm, like, if you don't believe what I believe, you are, like, anti-human, like, um, anti-good of society. Yeah. Yeah. Like, extreme language is not helpful. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think, yeah, it kind of goes back to just asking questions and letting them talk. And then um, I think if you're 
maybe pointing the questions in a certain direction that can get to where you're going, you know, um, and maybe kind of in a way, you know, the questions can be a respectful way to attack the argument, you know, like, well, what does that mean? Or um, why do you assume that? And then you're not necessarily saying, you know, the kind of the, the slogans and stuff yeah. and you can kind of, and I think people are take criticism better if they're allowed to talk, you know, yeah. like they, if they're actually allowed to explain themselves as opposed to, um, they're being talked over and kind of talked down to. Yeah. One thing, just if I can, yeah. one thing that we often um, reflect on is Lewis's idea of volverism. So, like, he wrote this essay, C.S. Lewis wrote this essay about, you, you better explain, we constantly go back to this in political conversations, though, because it's so easy to slip into this. Yeah, just the idea that, like, uh, I think it's common in our culture to just attack the, um, the where the person's coming from. So, like, um, I think Lewis's example was, you know, he this boy listened to his parents arguing and his mom said to his dad well you just say that because you're a man and that the boy from that got okay so all I have to do is attack the person you know who they are where they're coming from and I don't have to take the argument on its face so you might say you know you'd say that because you're a man or um, you'd say that because you're rich or you'd say that because you're this or that instead of just saying okay so what are you saying and then kind of looking at the argument instead of saying you don't have a right to speak on that because um, you have this background, or you are this kind of person, or whatever. Or you don't have this background. I yeah. have this background, you don't, so therefore, you know, I've worked in this area, you haven't, therefore I'm not going to listen to anything you say, but really just trying to engage that person's ideas, and not disregarding them or regarding them based on their experience. Yeah. So, it's called Balverism, and he just yeah. has a short essay. It's not very, it's like a couple pages. That, I think it's the really God in the Doc. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good essay, like just... Yeah, so I can see that being based on ethnicity. Right. Like you're white, sure. you're black, you're Latino, totally. therefore. Yeah. Or socioeconomic, like you said, yeah. Yeah. where you grew up, yep. nationality, that sort of thing. Your work experience. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What your parents believed, yep. the right. city you're from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking about as we step into gospel community or with our roommates or with close friends or other people at Park Church or coworkers, different pockets of people. Uh, how do we, I guess looking in, even in particular amongst Christians, how do we maintain unity around the gospel, the worship of Jesus, that yeah. we have a, a common core here that we need to, to come back to? Yeah. How do we maintain that in the midst of potentially divisive conversation, knowing that we may leave still disagreeing with each other? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's, like staying rooted in the scripture, you know, that, and, and your identity is um, as a follower of Christ. And when that's your identity, then, you know, like a brother or sister who disagrees with you completely on political issues, you know, if they're truly rooted in that and that in the gospel that Christ died for sins and that, um, and that they are, you know, Christ and Christ follower, I think you, God willing, with that mentality, you know, you can see... Um, your brother or sister who disagrees with you as closer than, you know, your non-believing friend who may align perfectly politically or um, on those kind of views. So I think staying rooted in that, and then I think also just, um, for me, it's hard. I mean, I don't practice this as well as I wish I did, but just not trying to control people, you know? Like, I cannot control what this person thinks who I, and I think it can be particularly frustrating for me, maybe with Christians, because I think, you know, we come from the same foundation you should not think that you should yeah. agree with me and then i can get angry you know but i think just i can't control what you think and um all i can do is you know by the grace of god try to make the best argument convincing i can and make it winsome and that i really listen to you and then just letting that go and um knowing that god's working on all of us you know that um not all my ideas probably are as right as i think they are and um and god's changing that and that god's changing people and that's what he came to do so it's yeah. good yeah, being a listener and a learner. I mean, I think often if I'm willing, like sometimes it seems like if you put like all of the pressure on like one 10 minute conversation, it can be like really unhealthy. But if it's just like a relationship with someone where you read an article and pass it on, or what did you think about this specific issue? And you're willing to listen, I don't know, just kind of an ongoing conversation can often, it seems like be more healthy than like a big controversial let's talk about every big hot issue in like 10 minutes so just um kind of coming at it from a slower this is a long-term relationship i'm not gonna um i want to be like a faithful representation of the gospel but i also want to be 
humble in the way I come at this, and I want to be your friend more than I want to be right, you yeah. know, on this issue. And That's good. Probably, we talked about, like, our group has occasionally, like, a political issue has come up in our group discussion. Like, uh, gospel community group. Yeah, in our gospel community. Um, and may, we've kind of talked about maybe, like, kind of steering the conversation away from that when we're, like, in that whole group setting and not letting that be the time that we really delve at it. Because I don't know if, like, a conversation with 10 people yeah. is the best setting for a political discussion. Um, so. But I don't know if we really know, like, what's the best answer there. Because yeah. I yeah. do think it's good for Christians to discuss these things. But it's also sure. hard maybe when, like... Yeah, you know, I don't practice that, all those principles well, and um, people in our group don't either. And so, and it's hard for us. We're still just learning to love each other and really build relationships. And sometimes when it's an official church function, it's just kind of hard, like, okay, we got two people starting to go at it on this political issue. And it's, um, and it maybe could kind of divide the group a little bit, but I don't know. You know, I guess we don't really know, but in general, I, I have kind of felt like I like to steer the conversation away from specific political hot button issues in our gospel community and then try to talk about it like with as individuals and kind of on the side when it's not maybe a official church gathering yeah. but i don't know what yeah. the real answer is there yeah, so that's helpful yeah anything else you guys want to add in that you didn't throw out already no okay. i don't do you got it i don't think so thanks great yeah. they'll be around later really yeah. minds here. <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks okay. Southern. Uh, he did school of theology at CCU. Been out here in Colorado two and a half years, maybe. Here I get mic here. Um, also, the research director for the Common Wheel Project, based out of, of Southern, and on the board for Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. So, a lot of different areas that he's serving in, and he's going to talk to us about what questions we as Christians should be asking uh, about politics. Very okay. good. Thank you, Neil. Um, he is correct. I do do those things, but that's not the authority from which I'm going to be speaking today. Okay. Before all of this, I actually was, or I am ordained. I was a pastor uh, of a local church, and so I just want to go to the Bible and say, what are the questions we want to ask today? Um, and in fact, even in those roles, public economics is more my specialization, and theology, not necessarily public policy, and so I am grateful for people who want to take these ideas and engage in the public square even more. So first of all, let me just commend you for coming out on a Sunday afternoon of all the things you could be doing in Colorado. This is an issue you're engaging to. So I'll thank you back there. You guys get special thanks for sitting in the hot sun on this issue too, so engaging up close and, and hearing, and, and also Neil, just for the local church engaging this, because I think local churches make errors when they say, we'll never talk about politics at all because we're 501c3, we don't want to lose our, our uh, you know, exemption with the IRS, or err the other way, saying we're going to have candidates on a Sunday morning instead of a sermon speaking. Those are, this, is, this is exciting, so I'm really, uh, it's an honor to be here. And uh, I just have uh, four questions for you. Um, and uh, before I get to those, let me just define one more time that my goal here is to speak theologically, not politically. Okay, so if we're saying this candidate is pro-life versus pro-choice, those are very much theological questions, right? This is, the Bible is very clear on the image of God and on murder. Uh, but if the question is, will this candidate keep their promises about abortion or pro-life or something like that, well, now we're starting to be a political, this is a question of wisdom. This is where Christians can disagree. If the question is, will this candidate win the battleground state of Pennsylvania by carrying, you know, the single women collegiate vote, all right, that's very, I don't have anything to say about that today. And, uh, or even, will a vote for a third-party candidate, you know, really be a vote for the opposition? Those are the discussion questions that we're going to have here later. These are the things that Christians can engage in and so forth. But, uh, but the goal is to have a theological foundation. And the, the beginning question is this. Do I regularly pray for my government? Okay. Do I regularly pray for government officials? So this goes right out of 1 Timothy 
chapter 2, if you want to go there, if you still have your Bible, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. And Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is writing under the Roman Empire, under specifically Emperor Nero. Paul is going to be put to death by this emperor. Okay, so that's the context by which he is writing this. And he's going to say, engage in the public square, but then he slides very quickly into the gospel. Paul's like, this is important, but he gets back to the gospel very quickly. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you see the slide there? Paul says, pray for the kings, okay, so that we can live quiet lives. Why? So that people can get saved, so that the church can continue and we can be about our, our mission. So I'm glad we're here today, but this isn't the most important thing we've done today, including worship and the preaching of the word this morning. So number one question, am I praying? Okay, before we can even start engaging with people, we need to be, be doing what we're commanded to do. Second of all, am I informed of the true or latest positions of candidates? Okay, another question might be, am I listening to this debate? So that am I informed? Um, a good test of that is, can I make a short list of the positives and dispositives of each of the candidates in the presidential election, for example. Both the positive things, uh, they are, they are pro-life. Um, or positive things, they want to lower taxes or they want to raise taxes or they're for the Trans-Pacific uh, Trade Pact or, or not, something like that. Am I informed enough to at least articulate some specific aspects of what that person has said? Now, it's a political question that I'm not gonna address is, Will they keep their promises or will they continue that? that that's a separate uh, calculus for discussion. But am I informed in this? Um, so in, uh, in first, yeah, in fact, it's interesting. Christians used to be single issue deposit, uh, dispositive voters, right? It was, used to be very easy for me. This person is pro-life. This person is not. It's like, okay, on one issue I can decide. In the presidential election now, we don't even have that anymore. So now we have to, to go deeper and to think about it. And when I think about, am I informed? Do I know the times? It reminds me of the people who rallied to David in First Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, it's 12.23 through the end of the chapter. It talks about, from each tribe, here were the people who came to compose the army that David... Uh, was leading. And just to begin it, it says, these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him according to the word of the Lord. And then it starts a long list. The men of Judah bearing shield and spear, 6,800 armed troops. Of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor for war, 7,100. Of the Levites, 4,600. It goes on, but it gets to this very interesting uh, verse in 32. It says, of Issachar, okay, one of the tribes of Israel, of Issachar, 200. So it's the smallest representation. Uh, in fact, the, the Asher sends 40,000. Naphtali sends 37,000. Of Issachar, they send 200. And the description of them is men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel should do. Okay. They didn't carry shields and spears. They weren't slingers of sling stones. Uh, they weren't mighty men. They weren't seasoned troops. It says there were 200 people who understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. And that's what I hope for Park Church as we engage in the public square discussions. Not that we're the largest voting block, okay, or the most powerful, the most vociferous, but that through wisdom and uh, being informed, we can understand the times and know what we should do. So what do, we, what do I do with that personally? I like to, to, to be informed in the news. Yeah, well, first of all, here's the controversy. I avoid Fox News on TV, okay? I also avoid CNN on TV. Why do I avoid TV? 
because TV is very slow. The amount of information you get per time, right? The amount of information and, and having people argue with each other, is, is, I find that to be very unhelpful. What I like to do is read force people to put it in writing so that I can go over it, I can go back over it, or as Kaylee said, I can send it to my friend afterwards, this is good. Uh, that's a better investment of time, and I like to, to read the news in pairs, right? So Wall Street Journal, I read that every day. New York Times editorials available online. So read it in pairs. Um, let's see. Uh, I also listen to NPR, their podcasts, and The Economist Radio. It's very helpful to hear the Economist podcast in their view uh, from Europe of the United States political situ uh, situation. And then two you may not have heard of or know of uh, as podcasts. That's the World News Podcasts. How many people are, are listening to that? Exactly one. Good. World News Policy. Okay, two. <laughs> Three. I noticed a trend here. So, yeah. That's five days a week. That is very helpful. It's usually 26 to 30 minutes. It's from a Christian perspective. Um, it's not the most breaking Fox News alert, but it's, it's thoughtful commentary on that, John Stone Street especially, and so forth. So World News Podcast, and then The Briefing. The Briefing with Al Mohler. So he is a... He is a friend of mine. He is a godly Christian man. I trust his viewpoint. He puts, he's also the president of Southern Seminary. He puts out a 20-minute podcast about Christian worldview every day. And it's one that if you put it up on 1.5 times, he talks a little faster. It's like he's had his coffee for the morning, and you can get through it in about 12 minutes. It's my commute. I'm, I'm, I'm equipped by the time we get there. So, all right. Are we praying, first of all? Are we listening? Are we informed, second of all? Third, Am I clear on my role as a Christian? Am I clear on my role as a Christian? So if we went to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we'd see the criteria for elders in the church of Jesus Christ. That's not what we're doing in the public square. Okay, according to that criteria in Titus 1, for example, neither candidate for president qualifies. I wouldn't, I would abstain. I would, I would frankly leave the church if that was, if they were on the elders board of this church. I just, that's, that, that's impossible. But on the other hand, I was traveling this week on the East Coast and I was in a taxi cab and I didn't say to him, how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, how are you, to my waitress, I didn't say, how are you going to vote, ma'am? Okay, this is, the fact that they were, I, they did a great job Ubering me around. They served the food. It was hot and on time. I don't live my life only with Christians, okay? And when we're electing a president, we're not going to be electing an elder of a church. It's not a requirement that they be a Christian. So, in fact, it's, it's a challenge. But when you think about it, as long as Jesus Christ is not on the ballot, you are going to be choosing between the lesser of two evils, okay? <laughs> That's it's just some people accuse me of saying, oh, you're just using the means to get to the ends, or you, you're just settling for the less. That's just the case, okay? So we're electing a president. And so as my role as a Christian, I'm a citizen of the United States. They are asking me for my vote. I don't get to pick the candidates nominated. I don't, I, I mean, maybe if you are called to run yourself, if you are called to be part of a political party, or that process, then God bless you. But for the majority of us, Voting is our engagement in this process, and we just need to understand that what does it mean to be a Christian in that process? And then last of all, am I engaged? Am I engaged? Um, the first thing is to vote. Um, not all Christians do, and I would, I would encourage you to vote. In fact, I, I would encourage you not to abstain either abstain from voting either on principle or, or out of laziness especially, okay? Um, we want to engage in the process. I see that as a natural extension of praying. If you are praying for the well-being of the nation, here's another option to, to do that. So am I engaged by, by voting? Am I engaged by doing? Okay, This is very important. Many things people look to the government to do today in this generation are things the church used to do or things the church should be doing. 
So I would say you are engaged in the political process if you are helping widows and orphans, if you are being the church as the church. That's fundamentally good and I think pleasing to God as well. Community development, vocational service, all these things that people look to the government for, I think the church should do. So voting and doing, and then finally, am I engaged in trusting? Am I engaged in trusting? John chapter 16, verse 33. This is the Last Supper. John 16, 33, Jesus is so clear. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, this tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome that. Okay, And that's my encouragement to trust. Not an encouragement to be disengaged, as if this doesn't matter at all and it just is just going to come back someday whether we vote or not or it, 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 no matter how bad it gets. But it's your encouragement, not to disengagement, but to peaceful confidence in Jesus Christ as we engage in this process. So let me close with uh, Titus chapter 3. This is Paul's, uh, it's interesting that both Peter and Paul were martyred under Nero at about, not long after they wrote both of these. So, um, first, uh, first Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, Titus chapter three. And, uh, once again, let me, let me note how Paul starts with public engagement in the public square goes quickly to how we behave as Christians. Are we doing what Christians should do? And then he slides back to the gospel. He's like, ah, Jesus is so important. I can't, I can't talk about politics too long. So, okay, so this is Paul to Titus. It's very similar to what Peter writes. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready for good, every good work. And then he talks about our behavior. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And then, he's, this is straight to the gospel. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You're saying, wow, your conclusion gets very far away from your main topic. That's true. But so did Paul. He's like, I'm going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ and about salvation than this. Oh, by the way, don't forget to be submissive to authorities. Okay, we're good. Thank you.